Russell here, who always gets uh, what she thinks is the wrong end of the deal when the Power Ballad Friday is on. Uh, she doesn't like the greats, such as Every Rose Has Its Thorn. Oh no, she likes the classics, <laughs> like Van Morrison uh, and Elvis Costello. Uh, Costello wrote Oliver's Army as a comment on the troubles in uh, Northern Ireland during the 70s. He was inspired to write the song after seeing British soldiers uh, patrolling the streets of Belfast. Brilliant song. Yeah, not not except yeah. for that one other line. Yeah, not a bad song. What do you think about that song, Simon? Does it does it do it for you, Elvis Costello? I, there are a lot of songs that are played on the kind of comeback and on the um, panel that I don't hear in many other places. <laughs> right. What are you trying to say? <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> There we go. Someone likes it. Our, our, our wonderful <laughs> operator Brad loves the song here. Oliver's Army. Um, and by the way, in 2012, Elvis Costello was among the British cultural icons selected by Sir Peter Black, the artist, to appear in a new version of his most famous artwork, uh, the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. So Elvis made the made the grade. Mm. Saw, uh, saw him at the Civic a few years back. Did you? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, with Don, Don McGlashan as the um, front guy. Oh, my gosh. He was fantastic. Yeah. And Elvis, he blew the roof of it. Elvis Costello it right? was amazing. Really? Is that right? It was so good. It's yeah. so good loving concert. Because I know I know that Elvis, I mean, I'm, I'm being a bit of fear. I know that he has his fans, right? Um, but I've just never got round to appreciating him. Lyrically, he's pretty amazing, I think. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, you've got to, he, he makes songs that you cannot help but sing along to, which I think right. is pretty cool. Very good. Very good. Uh, your feedback, my husband brings a full breakfast for me. Every morning, mm. and he brings his breakfast up to eat with me. That is just that's that is the uh, a text of the day. That is really romantic. That is really romantic, isn't it? Yeah, my husband you builds things, so you know you can have one or the other, really, can't you? Yeah. <laughs> there are different different love languages. Yeah, <laughs> and I've got Thank a lovely you, garden shed now, and that's all that matters <laughs> yeah. to me. Philippa says, "Wallace, what happened to the breakfast tray in bed and something called a table napkin?" napkin. Fair enough. Uh, eating in bed is just fantastic. It's wonderful. It is fabulous. It is delectable, says uh, Your colleague Mary. who sits next to you. <laughs> <laughs> all, these, all these rule breakers that we mm. sleeping That's on right. the dining table. Right. Uh, now, to this. Uh, Doc is seeking feedback on marine protection proposals that aim to revitalise the Hauraki Gulf, closing October the 28th. What's that? That's, oh, two days. Uh, The proposals are for 19 new protected zones, creating using two new marine protection tools, and will will increase the area under protection in the Gulf from 6% to around 18%. But one group that isn't happy is the Endangered Species Foundation, who are deeply concerned that bottom trawling is allowed to continue. Quoting Professor Mike Hilton saying that trawling leaves a ploughed paddock in their wake and at worst 
desert where nothing can live or grow. With us is Natalie Jessup, the general manager at Endangered Species Foundation. Natalie, kia ora. Good to have you on. Oh, kia ora, Wallace. Thank you for having me. So explain what your concerns are or further yeah. what your concerns are. Yeah, I, we were quite shocked, to be honest, to read the plans revitalising the Gulf because obviously uh, the title insinuates that we're going to be revitalising the Gulf. Yeah. Uh, however, yeah, the proposals will allow sand mining uh, to continue and also bottom trawling, which is when they put down the nets and they scrape the seafloor. Um, and yeah, the Hauraki Gulf is home to the endangered bride's whale and the endangered Tara'iti, the New Zealand fairy tern, uh, which is only 37 left, and a lot of other species which are dependent on healthy ecosystems for their survival. So. Very fragile old ecosystem, the Hauraki Gulf, isn't it? I mean, it's 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 mm. it's it's a jewel in the crown of not just Auckland, but you know Tamaki Makoto or Tamaki Makoto, of course. Um, but it, it is quite vulnerable. Yeah, and a huge amount of damage has already happened in the Gulf through uh, sand mining and bottom trawling over the past uh, 100 years. And I think people can see the damage and people who live locally and, you know, people, especially in Auckland, right up to Mangafai, love that area. It's just utterly gorgeous. Um, And they did a survey actually in November last year uh, which found that 84% of people who live close to the Hauraki Gulf oppose uh, bottom trawling. So there's a massive mandate from people to stop this practice. Mm. I'm just looking at the proposals here, the uh, you know the doc, the doc um, submission here, or the, 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 the feedback on protection proposals and one of the proposals, seafloor protection areas, prohibiting activities that damage or disturb the floor, like bottom trawling and mining, but they will still allow for activities that do not conflict with seafloor protection objectives. Um, w- what's the issue? Isn't that what you're wanting? Oh, I mean, if we had more seafloor protection areas, that would be wonderful, but there isn't uh, enough. And the fact that we're allowing bottom trawling to happen at all is really weird. Like, it's a practice that completely wipes out what's on the bottom of the seabed um, and isn't a sustainable way of fishing, either for the fishing industry or local um, fishing, you know, local fisher people. So... Yeah, um, seafloor protection areas are great and we're advocating for more of those um, and particularly in the Mangafai Pākari area which has been utterly devastated Has it? Sand mining. Has it really? Yeah. yeah. All right, uh, someone says Kina Deserts, uh, Alexia. Yeah, I thought, um, so are you saying that in the area that they're designating they are not allowed to do sea trawling but they're, because they're allowed to do it everywhere else it's a sort of um, self-defeating exercise? Uh, yeah, in a way. Um, I mean, those those particular areas will be protected, but outside of that, they won't be. So, um, it's, so, it's so, what's your issue selective. with the the um, proposal as it stands? That just it doesn't go uh, far enough. Well, just that it's allowing bottom trawling to continue at all. So, New Zealand is the last country. Uh, that's continuing to bottom trawl the high seas of our Pacific Ocean. It's, it's banned by, you know, 
multiple other countries all around the world. And we're also recklessly doing this in our own backyard. Uh, and the problem with bottom trawling is that it plows the seabed, it smashes coral, it destroys right. mussel beds. Um, so we just we need to be actually getting out of the 80s and moving into 2022 where we have sustainable fishing practices. Frank says, uh, Natalie, what, they're still bottom trawling the Hauraki Gulf? I thought that had been stopped and they were receding the Gulf seafloor with mussel sprays. If bottom trawling continues, doesn't that undo it all? It makes no sense, says Natalie. So we're very clear on this. Yeah, well, I was a bit shocked too, Wallace. <laughs> Um, I did not realise we were doing this in our backyard. And then I was even more shocked to find out that this is in the proposal to continue. All right, so. no, we, will, we will come back to this on the panel, actually, Simon. Yeah, it's bananas. And, you know, especially there's so much good work done, like um, Save Our Sands, that are, uh, an organisation trying to stop the work being done, uh, the, 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 the sand mining happening at Parkity, for example. Um, what would you recommend could be done to help to, if people, you know, because I'm pretty sure no one's out there going, you know what? You know, I actually quite like a bit of uh, bottom trawling. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really on board. For all the people who would like to see this consigned uh, to a bit of history, how can they get in and make their voices heard? Well, we have two days before these missions close, and it's actually really easy. You can just email change at doc.gov.nz before five o'clock on Friday, and let them know that you're opposed to further sand mining and bottom trawling in the Hauraki Gulf. Very good to have you on, Natalie Kiora. Thank you very much for your time. That is Natalie Jessup there, the General Manager at Endangered Species Foundation, wants bottom trawling is stopped or um, uh, stopped more than it is. Uh, and, and But not just bottom trawling, the sand mining which uh, that organisation says is devastating the Mangafai Pākiri area, uh, whereas the likes of Mount Maunganui, uh sand mining was stopped in 1976. Yeah, and so you've got a well-formed beach, whereas Mangafai and Pākiri, those ecosystems um, are being changed oh. by mining of sand. And they're the most beautiful, you know, they're yeah, Tonga, sure. they're just sure. the most beautiful mm. parts of, of, of our city. And then it's being pulled up, I understand, to make things like concrete, which just seems like, you okay. know, Okay, now, so to re-sand St. Helia's a mission bay. Oh, well, a, t- a, t- <laughs> tiny, <laughs> you know, a tiny, a tiny <laughs> portion of it. It's mostly, I think, for, for, for industry. Now, by the way, uh, quite a response regarding eating in bed. And um, Sigrid, you get my vote for actually these these next two texts get my vote for texts of the afternoon my late husband Errol showed unconstitutional love even after an argument by bringing me a cup of tea in bed each morning then on the weekend was an extra special delight breakfast in bed two pieces of wholemeal toast one with vegemite one with peanut butter and fruit i loved it you know what so good I think that I might revisit this uh, this idea <gasps> at home of eating in bed because that's love, isn't it? That's love. Yeah, okay, if you're into that kind of thing, yeah. sure. Lo- love and crumbs. <laughs> and, 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 and now let's go to the wonderful Hawke's Bay and Sandra's on the line. Kia ora, Sandra. Kia ora, Wallace. How are, you, how are you this afternoon? I'm really great, thank you. I've just come back from a swim. So that's oh, that's, well, that's heaven. So what do you do regarding breakfast in bed? Well, I've had breakfast in bed every day for decades now, even when I was working. And I would um, take, I would 
take my cups of tea and my toast and my breakfast back to bed, and I've done that every day for nearly 30 years. And it's a fabulous way to start the day. You can listen to Radio New Zealand. Yes. Stare at your wardrobe, wonder what to wear, and basically get your head together and start your day. It's a good start, kind of as a little pause between sleeping and getting up and running at 90 miles an hour. If you, if I showed you a photo of the room right now, there's smiles all around, Sandra. <laughs> Everyone is smiling, and we're all being convinced about how good it is. Yeah. Um, Simon, but- I think Sandra has the answer. It's not a weekly thing. It's a daily thing. Maybe you could help people with some tips about how to manage the crumbs, or if we were to pull back the sheets, oh, you know, would we be would we be feeling some crumbs in there? No, because God made make trays, darling, and so we have a. <laughs> We have a tray, <laughs> and we just, and that captures all the little flops and all the crumbs. So we we're fine. You don't want crumbs around your jammies, do you, dear? Oh, you don't want any crumbs in your jammies. <laughs> Good on you, Sandra. It's a tray, okay. darling. Thanks for being with us on the on the program. Okay. Uh, the panel are NZ National. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, the country's annual population growth has slowed further as more people. Leave the country. Data from StatsNZ show the national population increased 0.2% for the year into June, the lowest since the late 80s. Auckland, West Coast, population fell 0.5%, not much. And downtown Auckland, the innermost suburbs from Westmere to Newmarket in the Waitamata ward had a population decline of 5.8%, the biggest loss in the country. With us is distinguished Professor Paul Spoonley, the research director for the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Massey University. Uh, Paul, kia ora, good to have you on. Kia ora, Wallace, how are you? Very well, thank you. What interested me and what interested us is these regional figures as one to watch. So what are we seeing here? People moving into the big cities. Sounds like you're moving to the provincial centres uh, at the moment, Paul. Is that right? I can hear yes. the... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm joining the queue, Wallace. I'm joining yeah. the queue. And are we, what we're seeing is a, an emptying out of our CBDs, as you've pointed out, and there's a, a loss of... Uh, international migrants, so the, the right. people are leaving, not coming. But the, the bigger picture, I think, is the loss of people internally. And so you're seeing this this move to other centres. Um, out of Auckland, they tend to go north. Northland has had the fastest growth in the last year of any region. Right. And and to um, Waikato Bay of Plenty. In, in the case of Bay of Plenty, it's Tauranga. So what we're doing is we're shifting some of the big big uh, city problems to, to Tauranga at the moment. Mm. Mm. Um, Alexia. Hi, Paul. Hi, Alexia. Uh, hi. Um, Mr. Data, <laughs> does it worry you? I mean, two things from this. Why are we still building high-density housing in the city if, not, if it's emptying out? That's mm. one question. And the other thing is, some of that data, look, when you see they're moving north, they're not moving that far north. There's a lot of building going on in Rodney and places like that. It yes. doesn't worry you also that there is just about no public transport. There's no rapid transport no. for people who still work right. in Auckland. No, indeed. And and what's happening is that uh, that, that announcement's loud, isn't it? Um, what's happening <laughs> is that we're seeing the CBD into out. But some of the fastest growth of any area in New Zealand has been Rodney and Papakura. So we're moving out to the peri-urban fringe, 
Um, in terms of your question um, about... What was your first question, Alexia? About high-density housing in the city. Oh, there must be yeah, some yeah. good deals well, for flats at the moment. I know, I know. But, but remember that the, um, the lag in terms of infrastructural provision in Auckland is way behind the eight ball. So even if we have a temporary lull in terms of population, uh, we're still not going to catch up for some time yet. And by the way, if you look around the world, Sydney, Melbourne, London... All of them are seeing an emptying out of the inner city, but mostly we're assuming that's a temporary thing, not a permanent. Why, yeah, so why is that, Paul? Oh, because, because once migration begins again, uh, you'll see that Auckland will give up its population to other parts of New Zealand, but that will be more than replaced by migrants. Right, yeah, someone says here, uh, moved to the countryside, Hawke's Bay, to escape the city 35 years ago, raised our children, now retired, we've never uh, looked back. Simon Pound? Well, yes, so many people out of Auckland moved to Tauranga and to Mount Maunganui, and uh, they brought with them the traffic jams, and they brought with them the silly hats and, you know, now hipster now. things. Now, now. <laughs> they now really, now. They really made, made, remade the area in their own Auckland image. But, yeah, were you surprised that the... Um, that the numbers were actually not worse as we've had, you know, a number of years without migration. We've been so uh, reliant on migration for so much of this, and now people have been able to leave. I mean, do, do you think it's going to swing straight back round? I mean, how long is this going to be the case? Mm. Well, I mean, remember if we go back to 2011-12, we had a huge exodus out of the country, and we had a negative minus 30,000 in terms of net in, uh, incoming migrants versus those leaving. And we're going to see that in the next couple of years, but our migration always goes up and down. So talk to me again in five years and we'll be talking about how many uh, uh, migrants we're getting and how, how they're putting pressure on our, on our infrastructure, particularly our big city infrastructure. I guess, Professor Burnley, as a researcher, demographer, someone who looks um, and anticipates what will be, what, how we'll be living in the future, uh, one economist did ask, you know, the big question is, where do we find the workforce as we head into the future? You can really get some real insights from particular internal migration, can't you? You, you can do, Wallace. And, and, and the other thing is that COVID has taught us um, uh, how reliant we are on migrant workers, both temporary and permanent. And, yeah. and that's, you know, I've just come back from two and a half months in Europe, and, and it's exactly the same story there. COVID okay. stopped migration. And, and, and we all felt the shortage of workers. Paul, is this a, is this a worry for the pipe building industry construction um, pipeline? Where, yes. Yes, yeah, right. and this is the construction industry always sees this, doesn't, don't they, that, that there is not enough work to keep them going in the, in the slack times and then when things pick up again, they don't have the skills. I mean, Yeah, and, and the other thing, Alexia, is that through COVID, the shift from some sectors, let's say hospitality, to other sectors, and healthcare has been a big growth one, has been huge. The, there, are thousands, there are literally tens of thousands of people who shifted jobs through COVID, and I'm a bit worried that we won't readjust and make sure that we've got the right workers in the right place, both geographically but also in terms of where the skills and labour are needed. Very good, Paul. Thanks for being with us here on the panel. Appreciate it. That's uh, Professor Paul Spoonley uh, there. Now, Sarah just uh, text me. Uh, Thank you for reading out my text, Wallace. I do feel a little bit embarrassed, though, because I plugged in unconditional love, but my phone decided it was unconstitutional love, uh, (laughs) and I was in such a hurry I didn't check. Well, I, I wondered if it was like a celiac being delivered uh, baked treats. Yes, well, 
Indeed. Uh, it's seven to five, the panel, Simon Pound and Alexia Russell with me today. If you're a Salt and Pepper fan, and no, I'm not talking about the hip-hop group, then <laughs> Jolene Sanford from South Taranaki has, <laughs> has got the deal for you. Uh, she has a... Get this, a 3,000-strong collection of salt and pepper shakers up for sale at her Coastal Goods second-hand shop in Opanaki, going for five bucks a pop, or a pair. The proceeds are going to the rest home that is caring for her mother, Vicky. And Jocelyn is with us now. Jolene, rather, please. Uh, do excuse me, Jolene, and thank you for being with us on the panel. Thank you. Thank you for asking me today. Oh, pleasure. 44 years old, this collection is. Uh, it must feel uh, a bit of a bittersweet moment selling off this collection. It is. It really is, actually. There are some very special sets there, what we've had since I've been growing up. Um, we have actually kept them, so they're not going anywhere. But um, it is sad to see some go, but they are very special. Yeah. How did this collection start? It started when my parents got engaged. Um, they were given a set of pigs, and now they've been recently married 59 years, so they've been gone for a while. Can you recall the very first salt and pepper shaker that was collected? Um, yes, I do, actually. They were a set of cats, which were given to me by my uncle when I was about 13, and um, around about 12, 13 years old, and that's when they started collecting more seriously after that. Let's just pause on that. That's love, isn't it, Alexia? Yeah. You start, you, yeah, exactly. You start with cats, and you move on. Next minute, 3,000. Amazing, eh? What's, what's your favourite one, Jordan? Like, have you got a? Is, like, have you got one you're not going to part with? Oh yeah. Joylene. Probably your shelves no. have collapsed. She's going to have to see. Well, that. get Joylene back because I want to hear more about this uh, incredible uh, uh, South Taranaki salt and pepper shaker collection. Um, it's amazing, though, Simon. Really, uh, the joy that a collection can give you, huh? And it doesn't have to... It can be anything, right? Oh, you love it. And anyone just truly going deep on something, like, you know, the wonderful powerhouse, you know? Like, things like that. Do You see that someone's really gone to the nth degree and in a, in a, putting their things that they love all up around them. you got to love it. What, are you, what have you collected in the past? I, um... I go through little phases of collecting things. At the moment, I've got a car that has only a cassette player in the um, stereo, so I'm collecting all of these cassettes from around the place, and that's great fun. Well, that's just ri- that's just junk, though, isn't it? That's just, that's just junk. That's not a collection. Well, that's I mean, just really bad. You're not going to get any that's salt just, or pepper out of them, just, but um, you do get that's you just do get a straight old Simon Pound junk. You get a beautiful little artifact. And um, I recently bought like you know some people are still releasing cassettes, like Marlon Williams, oh, his latest album. You'd never put, play it. You wouldn't. You, he may well do, but you'd, no one would play it. Well, no one would play it. I'm playing it unless they've got a car that only has a cassette. Yeah. 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 What, about, what about you, Alexia? Well, I do not collect anything, and it's a point of pride <laughs> that I do not collect anything. One year when I was a young person, not early 20s, I moved houses seven times in one year, and that was it. Well, guess what? <laughs> well, guess what? We have the um, the salt and pepper shaker uh, guest back. Uh, jo- welcome back, uh, Jordan. Alexia asked you, is there one pair, or is there uh, some that you will not be parting with? Oh, most definitely. We've got a collection, what you call Goble is the name of them, and they are very quite expensive. 
So there's a set of a little camel with his rider sitting next to them. Also, very popular is a Laurel and Hardy set. Oh. Um, oh. Yes, I had some yeah. people from Harwood today came and wanting to buy them, but they're at our place and they're worth about $300, I think. Yeah. Keep those. So, yeah, mm. they, yeah, some are being kept very, yeah. Mm. <laughs> with such a big collection, do you kind of cook your food with very little seasoning in order to get full utility? Yeah, I reckon I. Um, well, actually, I don't even have a set of them, so I've just got a plastic little set, but um, yeah, <laughs> be a lot of salt and pepper to fill them up. Yeah, well, speaking of salt and pepper, Joylene, it's a bit cheesy, but our wonderful operator Brad has got some salt and pepper hip hop group for you on the, in the background there. <laughs> um, I. I, I... <laughs> I say to you, Joylene, that to Papa is to buy your collection. <laughs> well, actually, the museum here in New Plymouth, um, they had a collection expedition and they put some in there for a while, so that was really quite cool. Wonderful to have you on, Joylene. All the best with your salt and pepper shaking collection there. Speaking of which, here we go. Shake it. Shake it real good. Alexia. <laughs> Simon, I, thank you. I could get this on cassette. <laughs> you probably can, you probably can. I'm Wallace Chapman, back tomorrow. See you then, Checkpoint next.